0: And you're listening to Louisiana Considered here on WWNO and WRKF. I'm Patrick Madden. On the show today, how one Mardi Gras parade is making their floats more accessible for people with disabilities. But first, it's Friday and we're talking politics with Stephanie Grace, editorial page director and senior columnist for the times PickyU, New Orleans advocate. Happy Friday, Steph.
1: Happy Friday.
0: Stephanie let 's start with the latest involving the recall effort facing mm-hmm. mayor latoya cantrell there there 's been a public records battle going on with uh, your paper and the organizers right. of the recall effort um, uh, specifically under state law, the signed petitions are public records and as such are available to the public and the and the press can request access or copies to these lists so uh, according to your paper, there's now an agreement in place between uh, recall organizers uh, to make these records public later this month. Do I, first of all, do I have that correct and and just give us the backstory here. What's going on?
1: You do have that correct. And again, there is a state law that I think a lot of people didn't know about. I didn't know about it that basically says that once you've signed a petition, that is a public record. The custodian of the public record is the organizer. Of the, even though that person is not a public official. So that's a little unusual. Um, And they have to provide it according to the state's public records law when requested. And we did request it. And the idea is it's, you know, it's an official document. When you sign it, you are um, signing an official document. And that is, it's not like the ballot box, which is secret. It is like any other document that uh, the press and the public can access for the idea of transparency. And, um, you know, the resistance, they, you know, we didn't initially go to court, we requested the records from them, and they did not provide them. And, um, you know, the, some of the the argument against it really is that it could be used as um to intimidate people, that people are worried that if they sign it, then there could be some sort of retribution. Um, You know, to me, I would say that probably is not most people. I mean, the you know the city. Most people who kind of worry about getting business from the mayor probably wouldn't sign it anyway. Things like that. Right. But um, the argument is made somehow that it could be used to intimidate. But nevertheless, you know, you could see that happening maybe in a very small jurisdiction, not one like New Orleans. But um, nevertheless, it is state law, and if people want to change that, they really need to go to the legislature. Um, so what will happen is that the organizers agreed to provide it um, basically around the same time that the deadline is, which is right after Mardi Gras. So we're coming up on it. So um, if there are enough signatures, in, in theory, they would, they would file the petition and that would trigger the recall election, or at least examination of the, you know, signatures to make sure they're valid. And, um, but even if they don't, they, if, even if they end up not filing it because they don't have enough signatures, it will still become public. And, you know, the argument is that it, we're not going to publish every signature, certainly. But you know, is it? You know, are there people in government? Are there people? You know, they're just kind of for the historical records. We right. think it's important,
0: and it and it is a public record. Um, and it's a public record. Stephanie, quickly turning to the race for governor, Attorney General Jeff Landry. We know he's running. Um, yep. And, you know, this week he, he's continued his his fight with the libraries about uh, content for, for minors. And right. it's hard not to see this as, you know, becoming, you know, something political that with the governor's race.
1: Absolutely. I mean, he is staking out his ground as kind of the maybe trying to be the Rick DeSantis of Louisiana, who, of course, has been elected governor in Florida, um, uh, running on these you know, kind of social, you know, the issues surrounding curriculum and kind of what kids are exposed to. Of course, a lot of the fight is over books with LGBT themes. Um, You know, Jeff Landry is claiming things are sexually explicit. Of course, libraries do not distribute pornography, anything like that. And it's, um, and libraries are supposed to be governed locally, but they are talking about a state law it's very politicized and he knows that and everybody knows that like this is the he's running a social issues campaign. He's right. running on this kind of um, platform that is standard nationally right now. And then the question is going to be, is that what Louisiana wants? Is that or like is the biggest problem that Louisiana faces? what books kids can check out. Um, that is a question for voters. But, you know, when you see people trying to find an alternative, even Republicans to Jeff Landry, I think they're looking at this saying, you know, keep the eye on the keep eye on the ball here. Like, what are we really what do we actually need the governor right. to do?
0: Rubble. Keep watching that. Stephanie Grace, thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much. And you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Patrick Madden. With loud noises, tightly packed crowds and objects flying left and right, a Mardi Gras parade might not seem like the friendliest space for people with disabilities. Thankfully, there are some crews that are specifically focused on inclusivity and diversity, finding more and more ways to make their floats and parades accessible for riders with disabilities, and perhaps no crew is better known for this than the crew of King Arthur. For more on making Mardi Gras accessible, Louisiana considers Alana Schreiber spoke with three King Arthur crew members, Dr. Rose Angelosi, Mary LeBlanc and Loretta Brem.
2: I'd like to start by asking all three of you how you first got involved with the crew of King Arthur. Loretta, why don't we start with you?
3: Over 40 years ago, I watched one of the first King Arthur parades. It was basically all young people. They having a wonderful time. So I wrote a note to the captain asking how you could become a member and all of this. And he was the youngest captain in Carnival history. He was 17, still in high school, and he couldn't figure out why this teacher wanted to be in his parade. So he asked around, and I guess I got a
4: good mark, and he let me join, and I've been with him ever since. It's been fabulous. And Mary? My involvement started as a band director with him. (laughs) I was one of the high school bands that he would hire annually, and our band would perform in about six parades per weekend. And we marched, i say about eight years with Phil, and it was wonderful. I mean, the salary was great and the kids loved it. And then suddenly I became disabled and I could not teach any longer. So then I decided to ride on the float and to get up there, I was in a wheelchair and to get up there he allowed me to try to figure out how it was going to get there. And since then, he's been making accommodations for people with disabilities to get up. And many disabilities have been uh, taken care of in order to ride. And everyone has a great time.
2: Wow. And uh, Rose, what about you?
5: So um, I'm a relatively new member. I guess I joined the year uh, Mary was queen. Uh, So that would be like the 2014, 2015 uh, Mardi Gras season. She mentioned that she was pulling her court together and very excited about the parade. And I I had ridden as back when I was a senior in high school, I had ridden in a parade and I remembered how fun it was. And uh, I, I wanted to expose my children to to that. And I said, oh, yeah, one day I want to ride. And one day um, I- I'd love for my children to, you know, participate on a court and things. It's just it's, it's a wonderful experience for young women. And Mary said, well, you can make that happen now. <laughs> you know, so that year uh, I was able to ride and uh, my children were, were part of Mary's court. And, um, you know, now our whole family rides, uh, cousins and, <laughs> and everybody. So it, it's great. Our captain, who has been captain
3: all these years, and he'll be captain for life till he decides to give it up, he's a retired special education teacher. So he has an understanding and an empathy because he wants to make it available that everybody can come and have a good time. And he'll do everything and anything possible to to meet those needs. On our float, we have a little fella. He's in his early 40s. And he's a CPPEC person. We have built a little raised platform for him. He comes on with his wheelchair and everything so he can see over the edge of the float. He does his little throws. They have a good time. His mother and father on either side of him. One year, my mother had had a stroke. She was in a wheelchair. Mary was in a wheelchair. So I stood in the middle and helped facilitate handing them things. So with 2,400 people in our crew, there's going to be 4,800 helping hands for anybody of any ability that needs help. And we all look out for one another.
2: Well, I'd love to go to you, Mary and Rose. Can you just tell me a little bit about operating on the float as you know people with visual impairments and how the float has become more accessible to meet your needs?
5: Uh, This is Rose. So for me, uh, riding with a visual disability, uh, I like the position where I'm at on the float at the very end. So I'm kind of blocked in, you know, by three walls. So I only have to worry about one person on my left. So I know where my stuff is that that I'm going to be throwing. Um, My family cues me in on when it's a good time to throw. Uh, You need to, you know, be aware of when, when do we start? When do we stop? And also how far to throw, because uh, sometimes you have people right up on the float, you know, right against the float. And then sometimes they're behind the barricades and in the stands. So you have to kind of judge how you're throwing things. And this is Mary. Uh, my favorite thing is to
4: be the point person on, behind the driver driver's side. And what I do in that position, I have no vision in my left eye. My right eye, I'm losing vision due to macular degeneration, but I can see more to my right and I get a visual feel ahead of the float so I can see where people are. And my favorite thing to throw is stuffed animals because you can't hurt anyone with a stuffed animal. (laughs) And if I have other things that I hand off, Usually people will beat on the side of the float, you know. Yes, they'll tell you what they want. But yes, they will. <laughs> but you don't do that all the time. But anyway, you try to take care of their wishes. And the people you see in the crowds, this is the most amazing thing. You will see disabled people on on in wheelchairs begging for stuff. You will see the elderly, you will see the disabled, you will see children in wheelchairs, people who are developmental. Have developmental problems, you will see them. It just swells your heart to give them, you know, whatever they would like.
2: That's that's wonderful. We are speaking with crew of King Arthur members, Dr. Rose Angelosi, Mary LeBlanc, and Loretta Brem. Loretta, I want to go to you. What can you tell us about how the physical structures of the floats have changed to be more accessible and safe? You touched on this a bit earlier about replacing ladders with wheelchair lifts and adding safety rails. But what has this crew done that others could learn from?
3: Well, originally, when you had bought a float, it was a straight up and down ladder on the outside of a float, which made it impossible if you had any kind of mobility impairment. So then they started making the float steps within a float, but they were still straight up. Well, as a number of us started aging, we realized we need more help. So our float builder, our captain, got uh, our float uh, builder, Darren. Darren says, well, I can fix this. So he made floats that when you open the door on the side of the float, it goes up in steps like you would have steps going into a house. And there's a little trap door that you open up and you get on with your steps. You're on the float of the Uh, first level and when everybody's on board they put it down and it becomes just the floor again so that makes it easy now you're on there all day so you need a restroom they've made bigger restrooms you can take a full a grown person size wheelchair put it in turn around do everything you would do in any accessible handicap stall now A lot of people prefer to ride on that double-decker way up on the top, and some of them will let their friends help them get up and get up there with whatever they need. We have a number of riders that have prosthetic limbs and all, but they still make it to that top level because that's where they want to ride.
2: Wow. That's a lot of dedication there. When can we see you guys parade? What is the theme? What will you be wearing? What kind of music will there be? Just tell us a little bit about what to expect at this year's crew of King Arthur.
5: Well, we ride uh, Sunday, 12th. February 12th. We should be hitting the streets at one o'clock if all goes well. <laughs> so. It's the
3: same. Tra- it's the traditional St. Charles route from uptown, downtown and so forth. Um, we have so many top-notch bands, not these little things with boom boxes and stuff. We have real bands. And uh, the theme of the parade is, are you smarter than a knight, K-N-I-G-H-T, greater. And the float signs where the numbers would be, they're all going to have a question on there, and it pertains to the prop. For example, our float, the prop is Bugs Bunny. So the question's there, and the people have to sort of think of it like a trivia thing, but on the back of the float will be the answer. And we have 71
2: floats. Before we go, I'm wondering if you can each share with me your favorite memories from riding with this crew over the years. What has made this parade such a special experience for you?
5: This is Rose. I guess it it, it was a beautiful um, moment to share in when Mary was queen. It was beautiful to, to watch her and... Um, I was very moved by, by all of that, and I'm glad to be a part of that, and glad to continue to be part of the crew. And um, it, just, it just is like a family reunion. And
4: Rose was so supportive. When I was at UNO track, because I was starting to lose my vision more, I wanted to learn all, all it, about what I, it would be like to be blind. And she took me as well as her husband and took me to, through everything, you know, computer training, also trying to figure out cane movement and on a street. And there were so many things. And I was queen 38, and Loretta was queen.
3: Well, back in the dark ages, <laughs> I was queen 11, when we were 11. <laughs> and wow. the thing that will always stay with me, there was a teacher that had a homebound student in the school system. So this little girl wanted to meet, like the Make-A-Wish thing, she wanted to meet a real princess or a real queen. Well, it's kind of hard to pull off. So I, my principal called me to the office and he says, we need you to do something. And I said, what's that? And he says, well, he, he explains the situation. I said, well, find out the wear their Is we'll go to the little girl's house and house, of course, and we met with this little girl, we bought her a huge uh, stuffed toy, and we brought her roses and a little crown and stuff, and I will always remember her name was Rosa, and I, I it was so much that I received in doing it, I'll never forget it.
2: Wow, well, we could just go on forever talking about these incredible memories. This has been crew of King Arthur members, Dr. Rose Angelosi, Mary LeBlanc, and Loretta Brem. Thank you all again so much for being here, and have fun this Sunday.
1: Thank, Thank you.
0: Thank you. speaking with three King Arthur crew members, Dr. Rose Angelosi, Mary LeBlanc, and Loretta Brem. I can hear music somewhere out there And I can hear a happy voice saying out of there It makes me wanna
2: celebrate I feel good exactly
0: And you're listening to Louisiana Considered here on WWNO and WRKF. I'm Patrick Madden. And today is a bittersweet day here at WWNO and WRKF. It's my last day here. I've worked here as news director for both stations uh, in New Orleans and Baton Rouge since 2019. And one of my favorite parts of the job has been working on Louisiana Considered and being able to host it on Fridays. And Joining me now on the show is our managing producer, Alana Schreiber. Alana, you were, the, you were our first hire for Louisiana Considered when we launched it in, in 2019.
2: That is correct. Thank you so much for having me on, Patrick. And I know you are in the host chair today, but I want to interview you. I just want to start by asking how you first fell in love with journalism and how you found yourself on this path of radio reporting.
0: Well, that's a good question. Uh, I've always loved journalism. Um, for me, it's just been a, been a great way to not only learn to have fun telling stories talking to people it's it really doesn't feel like a job when you're a reporter and you get to go out and and cover great events and tell important stories and especially when you're able to to make a difference with your stories I, I think that to me is the best part of being a journalist and for radio reporting it's just such a great medium because of the way you get to tell stories and you can hear um, you know people's voices and paint pictures and create that that theater of the mind. And so I've always loved working in radio. And now we've also seen this renaissance with podcasting and on-demand audio. So it's been been fun just to see radio sort of have this second life.
2: Definitely. Well, you started Louisiana Considered during a pandemic. And since then, it's grown tremendously. So can you just tell me a bit about how and why you decided to start this show and how you've seen it transform in the last two years?
0: I think, ironically, we wouldn't have been able to launch this show if not for the pandemic, because (laughs) people were able to use Zoom to do recordings. And before the pandemic, if you wanted to do an interview with someone... They had to come to the studio, and that that was really hard to do. But once everyone, not just you know reporters, once everyone was able to use Zoom and figure out how to do recordings, it 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 really became possible to to pull off something like this show. And then I think also there was just a great space. Here in South Louisiana to have a show where you could have long conversations, you could have um, stories not only about the, mo- the the news, but arts and culture and just have those contextual conversations that, you know, that's why we love public radio. But to do it at, at the local level, um, I think, is really meaningful.
2: Well, what have been some of your favorite stories that you've worked on during your time here, specifically your favorite or proudest segments on Louisiana Considered?
0: That's a very tough question. It's like trying to pick your favorite, uh, who your favorite child is. We love them all. Um, I mean, I've always loved the segments with uh, Stephanie Grace where we get to talk politics. I just love, you know, when you hear someone who's so uh, clued into the politics scene to sort of just hear that breakdown. And I honestly, I think it's just fun hearing the different hosts. And the different um, viewpoints and styles that everyone brings. And so it's just, I I think it's great just hearing all the different stories.
2: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Well, for any young journalists listening right now feeling inspired, what's your advice? How should younger people pursue this passion and this career path? I
0: think for folks, for young folks that are looking to get into journalism or audio journalism or podcasts, I mean, it's never been easier in the sense that you with with your iPhone or your uh you know your computer that anyone these days can start a podcast. And I think following your passion, uh whether it's certain topic areas or at your high school or college, getting involved with um the journalism program or the audio program, but I think now more than ever, and we see how creative young people are with with putting together the, the TikToks and all these other things that, you know, I, th- I think people are going to find a way to tell stories. And that, that at the end of the day is, is what um, journalism is.
2: Patrick, thank you so much for everything that you've done for the station and for the show. And best of luck with your next adventures.
0: Thank you, Alana. It's, it's been great working with you and, and all the hosts. And it's been really fun putting the show together. going to wrap up today's Louisiana Considered. I'm Patrick Madden, and it has been a fun ride here uh, on Louisiana Considered, and just want to thank all the folks that make it possible, um, especially uh, folks you probably don't hear because they're behind the scenes, but Garrett Pittman, who has always been the engineer on Fridays, um, Alana Schreiber, all the hosts. It's been a lot of fun, and I look forward to now being a listener of Louisiana Considered. Um, And you can always listen to Louisiana considered Monday through Friday at noon and 7.30 p.m. here on WWNO and WRKF. Again, thank you uh, for listening. It has been fun, and I cannot wait to hear what's next. So uh, become members of WWNO and WRKF and help us continue this mission as we try to bring you news, content, conversations, podcasts, newsletters, all the things that make uh, public radio so much fun. Thank you, and have a wonderful weekend. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's
3: Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience. More at rouses.com with additional support from the Sazerac House.